coming live from the Fly Studio in Commerce Township. It's the Fulfilling Life's Yearnings Podcast! And I'm your host, Blake Giovanni Thomas Soule. And if you're ready to be your best by writing the script of your life to whatever you want it to be and taking action on your dreams, then this is the podcast for you. It's time to enter the fly zone. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's the fly host you love the most, and I'm back with another episode of Fulfilling Life's Yearnings. And I just have to say, you know, how awesome it is for one to to have someone else, you know, on your behalf connect you with with uh, another guest that I'm having on the show today. And that person was Zephyr Moses Blacksburg. He you know, sent me an email about um, the person I'm having on today. And that person's name is Gary Mancuso. And just said, you know, Blake, this would be a, a wonderful guest to have on your show. And I checked out what Gary was doing. And Gary felt the same way as well. So here we are today, you know, recording another episode talking about what he is doing to fulfill life's yearnings and the journey that he has been on uh, throughout the course of his own life. So without further ado, Gary, uh, thanks for taking the time to come on here today, and how are you doing? Well, thank you for having me on the show, Blake, and I'm doing great. That is awesome. So, Gary, you are a writer, a traveler, an entrepreneur, and a speaker. Now, how do you have all the time to do those things, and and what was the, the path that led you to saying, you know what, this is what... I want to to make happen in my own life. Where did that start for you? Well, it, uh, finding the time can be a challenge, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to keep up on uh, various things I'm involved in. I, as far as um, where I uh, found my inspiration, if, if I understood the que- question correctly, yes, uh, I've always been driven uh, to do, I've always been driven to achieve. So that's just who I have, who I have been ever since I was a, a, a young person. Um, the the particular uh, motivations in my life te- tend to be towards the adventurous and you know exploring and learning about the unknown, and uh, kind of manifested itself uh, in the thing that you know that that you're kind of aware of me from from my long journey that I recently completed in my book. But um, you know, I have a you know, I have a, just an undying curiosity of the world, and a real interest in other people, wildernesses, cultures, science, the future. Uh, so, I think it's just uh, just sort of been been the way I've always been. Now that was very fascinating to me when I was reading through your bio, and I was like, wow, this guy is, you know, you you left home at you know 18 and from Ohio and and went out to California so I kind of want to start there what what you know was that that thought process for you to just say you know what uh I'm just going to go out to California and, and and see what happens without really having some sort of well thought out executed plan that you knew was going to work out for you <laughs> Well, I didn't particularly like the place I was at. Mm-hmm. I was living in a small steel town in, in, in Ohio, and you know the place had died. 
uh, you know, the steel industry was pretty much a dead deal then. Although, although I hear it's there's somewhat of a revival that's that's taken place since I've left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe more to the point, um, I really f- kind of had it was just that call to go out and explore and see the world and have adventure. And to me, California just sort of represented that. You know, it was, it was on the edge of the, it was on the edge of the country, the gateway to the Pacific. And, uh, you know, the other part of the world, which seemed interesting, exotic, and uh, just something I had to experience. And so I was, you know, wanted to go to a, a more dynamic place than where I came from, uh, in, in this case, Ohio, which, like I said, was kind of a dead deal. Mm-hmm. California seemed quite exciting and the place where you could pretty much be anything, accomplish anything. And there's just so much going on. And, of course, the weather is nice. The girls... Uh, you know, the beauty of the girls, or at least so I'd heard, uh, was certainly an allure. <laughs> you know, the beach, the surf and all that. But I think it was the idea that was really on the edge of the edge of the country. And, uh, you know, I, and I saw it as sort of the gateway to the rest of the world. And, uh, and I've actually never looked back. I've been out here ever since. Mm, yeah, that's very, very interesting to me. And, and a cool thing, because I'm starting to hear of a, you know, even some of the kids I went to school with who, you know, take a, they'll bike across the country and, 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 and go on like, you know, a, a summer journey or, or even I had my own journey going, you know, studying abroad for a little bit and, and spending time in Europe. So I, so I always have an affinity for someone who, who was also, you know, loves adventure. And, and so that was really the, the starting point of, of where your adventure uh, started taking shape what what was it that that got you out to say okay let's let's take this experience of moving out to Cali and now being at the you know being able to do whatever i want in this new environment to let's now take some time to um explore and what was that first place that that you went to well the first uh the first real adventure for me was actually coming to California. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody out here. And when I came out here, I slept on the beach. I, I think I had $4 <laughs> in my pocket when I arrived. So, uh, you know, that, that was my first real adventure, so to speak. But after that, I was, uh, a couple years later, I was a, uh, an engineer or pre-engineering student at UCLA and I was doing pretty well. I, uh, you know, kind of caught my footing after a little bit. And, okay. And uh, I was doing doing pretty well there. I was always was a really good student, even if school hasn't wasn't really my the most exciting thing for me to go to. I was actually very very good and very good at it. Okay. And uh, but I just wanted more. So I uh, one day I told my girlfriend uh, I was uh, living with at the time that I wanted to go to Alaska and explore what was then you know people refer to as the last frontier. Right. And uh, so I sold uh, what, what I had then, uh, put a few things in the back of my trunk, and drove up to Alaska. Went, went up the Alcan Highway, uh, you know, went up the coast here into uh, British, uh, yeah, I guess it'd be British Columbia, and then drove up the Alcan Highway uh, through the Yukon Territory and eventually arrived in Anchorage. And in those days, when I made that journey, the Elkan Highway—that's the Alaskan Canadian Highway. Okay. I mean, that—that that was real. You know, that there was there was really nothing there in, in some <laughs> places that resembled a highway. It was just sort of a dirt road through the wilderness. Wow. And uh, I went in spring, so it was a dirt road that had big, you know, really big uh, uh, 
potholes filled with water. And sometimes it just sort of resembled like a very shallow lake that I somehow had to, you know, sort of drove through. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my, uh, I guess that would be my, my first big adventure. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like if you would have had, you know, s- smartphone at that time those would be some some really interesting uh some really really interesting posts on instagram or something like that just just capturing (laughs) you'd be you'd be the the prequel to all the all of the instagram uh uh travel bloggers that are out there so yeah that's that's really cool and so you so you you were doing that you know you had these experiences what and then also i want to start talking about you know your memoir, the the last places on Earth, and discovering uh, journeys in our disappearing world, um, which was released in the summer of two thousand and fourteen. Uh, what what was the idea behind that? Uh, was there some experience that you had throughout your journeys that told you, you know, what this is a story uh, that needs to be shared? Um. And you talk talking about it specifically. My memoir mm-hmm. was that that's a very that's a very specific uh, period of my life that mm-hmm. that memoir is about. So it's not about my entire life. It's about a six year journey that I made mm-hmm. into some of the most interesting uh, cultures that are still left in the on the planet, and some of the great you know some of the or many of the great wildernesses that are still left. Um. So that memoir, yes, I was. Uh, it was kind of like uh, I got kind of pushed into the idea at first of publishing a memoir okay. about. It. Uh, I did the journey because I wanted to do it just for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to experience the uh, you know the color and the and the uh, wonders of the planet while they're still here because they are rapidly uh, disappearing or changing to something that's very little in resemblance to what they once were. And it, it was a lifelong drive of mine to, to, to do something like this. Okay. So I did the journey for me, not to write a memoir, mm-hmm. but after I was about halfway through it, and I didn't actually know it was going to be a six-year journey when I started. It was actually mm. going to be more like a three-year journey. Wow. But after I was about halfway through it and I started you know, realizing that I had a long ways to go to, to kind of finish my objectives, I would, you know, I just started running into people who would tell me that you've got to write a book about this. You know, I would meet travelers or meet people in the airport or bus stops or, you know, just along the way. And you'd, you'd exchange, you know, you'd exchange a uh, little information about each other. And when people would hear that I'd been on the road for four years and some of the places I'd been and some of the, you know, some of the stories I'd shared with them, uh, you know, it was, I was pretty heavily and strongly encouraged to write a book about it. And lots of people, you know, gave me their email addresses or some other type of contact information so that I could let them know once the, once a book was out, if I went ahead and did it. And then when I got back and finally did complete the journey, I had, uh, pretty much everybody I knew said that, you know, you've got a story that's pretty unique and you've got to write it mm-hmm. and share it. So that so the impetus was uh, for my memoir was to share that particular period. And it was kind of like a lot of people just, you know, really encouraged me to do it. Oh man. I love hearing that. And, and you talk about how, how you've been to you know, some of the remote wilderness and a lot of the traditional cultures, and then also spent some time in conflict zones and, and, uh, 
you know, failed states with, with, with the, the horrific uh, governance bodies that they have there. Uh, specifically in your memoir, what, what were those places that, um, that you can shed light on that you were going to that, that, that spoke so much to you as far as uh, the, just the beautiful uh, uh, places that we have around this world that not many of us have uh, ever seen before? Well, one of the places uh, that's a total mess as far as government governance, failed state, just uh, corruption, exploitation, habitat destruction, and pretty much you know like all the different litany of ills that are affecting so much of our of our great wildernesses and and a lot of the still some of the traditional cultures that are, are left in the world. Uh, give you one really big example is the Congo Basin. Okay. Um, in, in Central Africa, uh, there you have an amazing primal area where you still see the planet the way it might have been perhaps, you know, 15,000 years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's just, it's just amazing, uh, you know, the, the animals and the wildlife and how everything in nature works together. Uh, and yet you have, you know, in the, in the northern part of the Congo Basin, you have the Central African Republic, which when I was there, there was an insurgency that was just kind of getting started by uh, not so much – they're partially they were Islamists, but I don't, I don't think that was really the issue. It was just more of a it – was, it was a different type of insurgency for that particular area. But it ended up overthrowing the government mm. about uh, a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, the, the Central African Republic was already a mess before that. And a good deal of its big animals and wildlife had already been destroyed uh, through poaching and, and uh, habitat destruction. But in the southern part, you have the, the, you know, you have the northern part of the Congo basis, the southern part of the uh, Central African Republic. And there you have the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. You know, and that's another amazingly immense wilderness that has the largest – uh, collection or largest stock of lowland gorillas left in the world. Wow. And in this entire area, which actually encompasses the central, you know, central, southern part of the Central African Republic, the northern part of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, as well as the uh, Congo Republic, you know, you've got something estimated to be around 130,000 uh, gorillas. And there's just, you know, and there's, and there's all, lot, all kinds of other animals there and bird life. And, you know, and, and the plant life is amazing. Um, and yet it's just disappearing so fast and it's mm. being encroached on from every possible angle. I mean, Democratic Republic of the Congo, I mean, that's been a failed state for, you know, 35 years. It's mm-hmm. been more a perpetual civil war uh, for a good deal of, you know, the last generation and a half. And uh, the only bright spot, if you want to call it that, and it's not necessarily a great bright spot, is the Congo Republic, which okay. has, has a piece of this. And there, you know, it's not quite, uh, you know, it's not quite such a disaster. But anyways, you know, traveling and all that, you see how fragile it all is. Uh, you know, the I was in this one camp uh, that was run by the the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund. Okay. And you have these really dedicated people that, uh, in this case, are outsiders that come in, you know, with these NGOs to try to help work with local uh, tribal, with local tribal people and indigenous people to try to to preserve their habitat, preserve the animals, and maybe somehow make money out of it 
in the way it is, you know, maybe through ecotourism or uh, other types of crafts right. that, that they could do that aren't going to be destructive. And yet, while I was there, um, just I think it would happen, if I recall correctly, just before I was there, one of the chiefs of a local of a, of a, of a local village had uh, been been uh, arrested, and it was found out that he had he even though he was supposedly working with the World Wildlife Fund to help save the gorillas and and do preservation projects in the area, mm-hmm. he had also gotten paid by an outsider, you know, some wealthy Westerner who come in and wanted to shoot a gorilla. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's sickening. And so, you know, here this guy is supposedly, you know, trying to, you know, trying to help. And yet at the same time, somebody comes in, gives him some money. And well, first off, some sick, you know, what kind of sick guy is that comes in and says, Hey, you know, here's a few thousand dollars. Let me go shoot this magnificent animal. Right. But anyhow, when you're in that kind of environment, it's, it, 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 it's hard to not feel hopeless. Mm. But if you block all that out, it's hard not to feel the awe of what the world once was in its primeval state. No, I I get that. And and I, I want to know, you know, while while you were in that environment, and I'm sure you had a, a chance to meet with locals and 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 just seeing how, and you were even living that that lifestyle yourself. But what what was important to them, you know, coming from a Western perspective, where it's materialistic and big things, fast cars, and 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 this uh, using technology? What? How are people living there, and and did it give you a certain perspective that you brought back, uh, brought back with yourself now that you're back in the uh, in the states? Well, you try to. You're, it sounds like you're kind of looking for a uh, uh, a positive answer. Um, maybe I'll give a I'll give a different story of mm. when I was in that area that. Mm-hmm. Might sort of answer what you're talking about, but may not necessarily be quite the positive answer you're, you're look, you know, you, you you might be looking for. By the way, you phrase your question. Mm-hmm. There was, a, you know, there uh, one of the things. There's a lot of forest people that they're they're, they're pygmies. They're, they're people that are much smaller. They evolve to to their environment, uh, and and typically, if you're if for, for smaller people, it's much easier to to get around in the forest to run fast and to hunt. Right. And one of the uh, interesting you know, and, and vexing problems of trying to preserve the wildernesses is that uh, governments have gone in and they've moved the indigenous people out of their natural habitats. Uh. Now, in some ways, that doesn't make any sense because these people have been living there for eons and, you know, the more or less everything stayed in balance. It only wasn't until foreigners came in and started chopping down the trees and exploiting and doing all the other things that happened. Or just when I say foreign influence, it could actually be people from the same country, let's say, but they're not forest people. Okay. But anyhow, on the uh, one day we went to do a hunt. Uh, we, we went on a hunt with the local uh, pygmy group. Now, this is a group that used to live in the forest, but now they live in pretty abysmal, abysmal uh, conditions. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in abysmal conditions, uh, out, just outside of the forest in these really poor and kind of run-down villages that you know, pretty much don't look kind of hopeless. Um, they were so, but when we, we pulled up in our Jeeps, because they have no way to get into the forest because they've been transported out of it and they don't right. have any type of modern transport. Everybody was so excited. We had all these people were like gathering around the truck. It was like this gigantic party and a big festival. Hmm. 
And, uh, you know, you had kids and, and, uh, the women were all singing and they're, and they're dancing and they're getting, they're getting, you know, they're, and they have these big long nets cause they're getting ready to hunt the traditional way mm-hmm. all rolled up and they all get on the, onto the, onto the back of our, of the trucks that we were in. And then we drive off and everybody's singing as loud as they can and yelling and chanting. And then they do the hunt and, you know, they, and they caught several, uh, small, uh, it's a, it's an animal called a duker. They, okay. they caught, caught several of them through their nets in, in a, over about a four hour span. And when, they, and when, they, when we got, when they got done after the hunt, they're chopping the animals up to get them ready to come back to have a feast that evening in their villages. So for this short little time period, these people got, tr- were able to kind of get transported back into the life that they had known only very up, up until very recently. Mm-hmm. And yet they had to get transported to go back to do that thing by the very type of people that essentially took them out of it in the first place. And so for them, that short moment was a moment of, of joy just to be able to live their life the way they remember and the way they had been up until very recently. And the people that I see that haven't been so badly disrupted you know, they, they more or less want what a lot of us want okay. in a simple way. You know, they mm-hmm. want family, they want security, they want to be, uh, know that they can eat and provide and not be hurt by outsiders. Um, and they seem to, you don't have those, since they don't know, you know, they don't know of the, uh, all the different influences that we might have in the modern world. They seem to be pretty happy just living in harmony with nature. Hmm. Now, there's a lot of challenges that go with that, but that's what they know. And I think, in general, a lot of them are uh, a lot of them are, have been, are pretty happy when they had that type of lifestyle. Making some of them modern, so 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 to speak, has made them miserable. Okay, right. at least in that case, anyways, or in many cases, but not all. Mm-hmm. No, no, I do. I appreciate that answer because it gives us more of a. Uh, a sense of what reality was like uh being over there and and for you uh, uh when you were staying there uh what what was your living conditions like were you you know uh in uh, motels or were you camping and sleeping outside as well well on that on that on that particular journey and again mm-hmm. that was just one one out of many different expeditions and mm-hmm. journeys that I made over a six year period um, that particular one, we stayed in, uh, uh, we camped mm. sometimes, uh, other times we stayed in, uh, jungle lodges, uh, like probably the nicest one was at the W at the world wildlife, uh, fun camp. Um, but, uh, but in general, we stayed either in little, in, in like little lodges that have been built, uh, in the forest, typically for researchers. Okay. And, and a few times we, we camped and, you know, for, you know, for me, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't it wasn't hard conditions as far as the camping goes the 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 hiking on the other hand was was uh, very very challenging mm. you know, we spent days walking oh i don't know probably several you know uh, several hundred kilometers at least a couple hundred kilometers through some of the most some of the toughest terrain in the world as far as uh you know through swamps and and uh soggy uh soggy wetlands in some, some extremely thick uh, virgin rainforest, um, so that that and that was for me that was an extra tough thing because I actually happened to be wearing a knee brace. I had oh, to okay. <laughs> after that 
go down and have knee surgery in South Africa. Oh, <laughs> I'd hurt my, I'd gotten injured before that trip, <laughs> but I didn't want to miss it. So I got, just got fitted up with a brace so I could make sure I could do it. And uh-huh. It was a pretty, pretty, that particular thing was a pretty painful ordeal. <laughs> oh, wow. So with these uh, different traveling experiences, you know, the, the, the question that's popping in my, in my mind now is, what what meaning did you you know extrapolate uh specifically from from uh your experience over the six years what what did you take away from that I know earlier on at the beginning you said you wanted to you know do the traveling for yourself to to see these these last great wilderness places before they're gone, but having gone and done that what what did it mean to you afterwards? At first, the first thing I did, I, I felt was just, it's almost selfish, just the thankfulness that I had the chance to do it. Mm-hmm. It was something I always, ever since I was a little kid, it's something I always wanted to do. And I set up my life and planned it to eventually be able to do it. And secondly, at least at first, I also felt a sense of uh, maybe hopelessness. Okay. That, that these things, uh, that there's, there's, there's much hope. I mean, there's so many things that are working against. There's really two aspects that I that I that I that I that I looked at. There was the cultural disappearing cultures, and there is the disappearing wildernesses and the animals and all the other wonders that go with that. The, I on the on the side of the cultures, I I had to. Th- it took me a while to kind of really figure it out, but. I came to the, I came sort of came to the made peace with the fact that a lot of these, a lot of people ultimately will be better off by being coming part of the modern world. Mm. There's a lot of things that are really good about the modern world. You know, women have, for instance, live much better lives, generally speaking in, in modern situations than they do in a lot of the traditional situations that I saw. Mm -hmm. You know, they, um, that's just one out, one out of many examples. People have better health care. They have the ability to actually experience life on a much wider and more rich scale than they could possibly imagine. I right. mean, most of the, a good deal of the planet up until recently, and even still now, probably half the people in the world are, have probably never been uh, further than, than maybe 30 miles from their village. Mm-hmm. So modernization brings just infinite possibilities for better lives for people. But, it, but of course, it also brings lots of problems, and there's many losers in that situation. But I was sort of able to make peace with that. I mean, cultures have throughout human history have always come and go. I mean, one wave come and supplants another one. Cultures get immersed or get swamped by somebody, by an outside culture. Uh, it's just the way it is. It's always been that way and it'll probably always be that way. Uh, although right now, the, the, the sort of the modern world cultures that are kind of taking over, it, it does seem to make the, the world a little less colorful, a little more boring. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know, I kind of made peace with that. It's the, the, what's going on in nature and the wilderness. Wilderness is, I mean, that's scary. And, and that I, I don't have a real optimistic view but there are lots of pockets of optimism. Okay. And from this point forward, you know, I choose to try to be an advocate uh, for the things that can preserve at least pieces of our of our wonderful wildernesses, pieces of our of our wildlife, and you know, of our of our of our whether it's ocean, you know, in the oceans or on the land. So, you know, there are there are there are things that can be hopeful. 
and some of the new technologies that are being that are being developed, clean energy technologies, things like that. You know, they they can play a role, but in the end, it's you know people do have to start realizing that every time you you know we we take from the environment, you know, there's a price to it, even right. if that price is not reflecting the good that you're taking. There is a price, and you know, and we're going to see that too. I think. I think mm-hmm. ultimately we're going to see that. Uh, you know, there's going to be conf- There's going to be more conflicts over resources, water rights. Uh, you know, there's. You know, it's. Anyhow, I. This is kind of where. This is kind of where. Uh, you know, where I where I've come from. That I, I right. feel that there's some ideas of optimism, but at the same time. We got to wake up as as a human race and realize that we are destroying our home. Oh, absolutely! And we may reach a point of no return. So yeah, hopefully we are going to, you know, get get our acts together. So I appreciate you sharing sharing that 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 piece of what what you took away from that as far as meaning it and where we're going. But also, um, before we get out of here, I. I just wanted to know, like, for you to take those six years to to go on on this uh, this journey and then have this memoir um, come out of it. Where uh, where did that place you? in as far as your life, you know, you were gone for six years. And was it was it ever a hard adjustment for you to you know come back to uh, to living? Uh, somewhat of a normal life back over here in the states, and and, and re and re uh, reemerging yourself with uh, Western civilization, or was this just something that you said uh, it didn't matter what the time difference was for you? Uh, it, it was time that was well spent, and whatever happened at the end of it would just be uh, a byproduct of you uh, finally ending your journey. Was that something that was difficult for you to do? Well, the transition back, uh, sure, it was. It's been a, a little bit more challenging than I expected. Mm-hmm. But before I made the journey, I felt that it was worth whatever I would have, whatever challenge I would have. It was worth paying the price to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if I had it over again, I would still do it. Oh yeah. Um. So, I, I knew that there would, it would be a bit of a challenge, and because I was, you know, I quit my career, I was on a, I was on a fast track at what I was doing in on my career path, mm-hmm. uh, and if I had kept doing it, I'd probably be pretty fairly wealthy and probably ready for an early retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I want to retire, but you know, I'd be in that kind of position. Right. But I said I just chose to, you know, in this case, just sort of walk away from it. You know, I had a beautiful home, I had a great life, I was married at the time, pretty happily. You know, I became unmarried during my journey. So, I mean. That's not specifically because of the journey, but it was a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it was something I had to do. Mm. And in this case, it's kind of a message, I guess, that is sort of underlying your show, you know, living life's yearnings. I mean, you you wanna you wanna live your yearnings or your and, and fulfill your life dreams, you have to pay a price for it and be willing to do it, whatever it takes. So that I was willing to do. Mm-hmm. Now to kind of answer like what it was like real quick uh, to make the transition back. Imagine yourself being in prison for six years. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, hopefully you never have to really do that, (laughs) but um, you know, you kind of know what's going on. You know, you hear people, you see TV, what have you. Uh, And of course, uh, somebody like me was, you know, I was pretty dialed into the modern world. I was actually involved in a, in the financial services and that created a tech, a tech service that had uh, done, done fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, it was connected with a trading room at a bank. So, you know, I was pretty connected when I left. Um, and I kept myself as best as I could connected to what was going on and, and kept up while I was, while I was gone. But still, I had been gone for a long time. And even though I was aware of a lot of things, it was a little, it was definitely a bit of a shock, you know, when I came back, you know, right. it's like almost like being plucked out of the general population, put into some kind of place far away, you know, like a prison or something, but in this case, a whole lot more wonderful experience than that. Mm. And then all of a sudden I come back and, you know, you, you turn on the car and it talks to you, you know, <laughs> you know through voice recognition. I mean, I knew about these things, but they had these things before I left, but it wasn't an advanced like it was when I came back, Right. you know, the, the car beeps you if you, if you, you know, cause I went, I had to go get a new car. So the, you know, the, I'm, you know, trying to switch lanes, you know, and, and, the, and I was, and the, 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 the salesperson in the first car I was trying out, for instance, he's showing me all these tech, you know, technological wonders, which right. were then just started being introduced into the cars. You know, you make a lane change and, you know, you get too close to somebody else and the car beeps at you. And, <laughs> and, and now, of course, they, you know, they have self, you know, they, they have Google has its car that just drives all over the place directing itself. Right. So, <laughs> you know, you had, you know, when I was gone, Facebook, when I first had left, I mean, mm-hmm. Facebook, uh, nobody heard of it, except if you're really in the know. Right. Uh, and yet near the end of my journey, Facebook was was helping lead a revolution that took place in the Arab world. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I had the first person who really told me about Facebook, you know, if, if I don't if I can digress a little bit, just mm-hmm. to give you an idea. Um, I was in Borneo in 2009 or 10. It was my second time in Borneo. And I was kind of I was on this remote river and I had a female guide and she was like all of maybe 22 and had never been off the island of Borneo. Uh-huh. And yet she had about a thousand friends on Facebook. Really? And she asked, she said, let's, let, let's hook up on Facebook. And I, I said, I don't use it. I didn't really understand. I really didn't know much about it or what it was, you know, other than just basically the idea of what it was. Exactly. She said, you don't, and she's explaining to me about Facebook. <laughs> she's, you know, she's, she's this person who two generations earlier, her parents were, were Dyak headhunters. Wow. You know, <laughs> so, so I mean, it's, it's, Man, a, you know, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so, so just to, to, if I digress for a moment to what, what was the, uh, the, the time period for which you were traveling for those six years? Uh, I left at the, well, I originally started my journey at the end of 2005, mm-hmm. but I, I got injured. And so I had to take a 10 month hiatus and have, I had, I had several surgeries back here in Los Angeles. Okay. And then I took off for good. And this, I was still, I was with my ex-wife. So it was actually, I and my, or my ex-wife and I took off, mm-hmm. uh, in November of 2000 is, yeah, it was November of 2006. And then I returned back to the States in uh, late spring 2012, which is when I started writing my book. Okay. Yeah, wow. I was just getting ready to graduate college. Actually, the following year. So I just came out in 2013. That is is incredible. Uh, To hear hear how you say that that the part for you that if you had to do it all over again, that, that you would do it. And I, I, and I think that, that, like you said, signifies, you know, the message I'm wanting to give here for fulfilling life's yearnings. And I'm grateful that you were able to come on and, and, and share a glimpse of what it was like, you know, starting with your early journey and having that, that, that yearning to explore and be adventurous. And then talking about uh, having to make that, that decision to walk away from everything 
to pursue that yearning regardless of the cost it would have uh, at the end. So that was really fascinating to hear. So wrapping up, uh, I'm curious, you know, what uh, summing up your experiences would be, you know, your definition of uh, fulfilling life's yearnings? Well, for me, the first thing is to have some type of philosophy of what it is you're mm-hmm. about and what you what you want to do, and why you're here and what you want to do. And I think this is something that, you know, a person should create on their own, not have imposed, you know, by society or a religion or or their parent, your parents. But ultimately, you need to figure it out. And for me, you know, I, ever since I was a little kid, little kid, I had, I wanted to, I wanted to explore and experience as many different aspects and walks of life as possible. Okay. And, uh, so I, you know, I've spent my life going after one, I had a series of different dreams that were, you know, they're all sort of related. They all tend to be fairly high adrenaline activities, (laughs) Um, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, I got into flying aircraft when I was very young, uh, high you know, I've been, been, have hundreds of hours in high performance aircraft, mm-hmm. got involved in underwater, you know, scuba diving and advanced diving, which is a way of exploring the undersea, you know, undersea world. Uh, so for me, fulfilling my life yearnings and, and, and journey is to know and explore as much as possible of what this life and this world has to offer and at the same time trying to to give back and and help people along the way and uh maybe especially when it comes to the uh the the, the great environmental problems of the world to try to uh sort of help break some of the 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 the, the rapid destructive forces that are taking place Oh wow! No, I, I I love that definition of fulfilling life's yearning. So, Gary, thank you so much for for sharing that. Uh, I, I've enjoyed listening to your experiences, and and especially when you talk about having your own philosophy that you come up with, uh, re- regardless of what society is saying. I think that's a a definite strong point uh for all of us to remember and and before we get out of here gary what what can we do to you know see what you're up to or to even uh you know get your book and purchase that to to read so we can you know get those experiences that uh that you've gone through well thanks for asking uh, blake and also thank you very much for having me on your show i've certainly enjoyed it uh, I have a, I have a website, which, uh, I confess I've been a bit remiss at, uh, keeping up with, mm-hmm. uh, although uh, I'm going to, you know, I'll, you'll, I'll be start, uh, revisiting that and, uh, updating it regularly. Um, I'm going to be starting a blog, uh, 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 fairly soon that nice. I'll be doing regular updates on, uh, my website's the last places on earth.com and it's places with an S. And my book is available. Uh, it's, it's sold in select uh, Barnes and Noble uh, bookstores, as well as you can buy it online at Amazon.com. Uh, it comes in either a physical version, uh, it's, it, it, a physical version, of course, if you get it at bookstores, as well as in an ebook version for Kindle. And it's also uh, in, uh, in in on Barnes and Noble.com. Uh, where you can get it. Uh, let's see. They use the Nook version, and right. of course, you can buy the you can buy the physical version online through them also. Or people can go to my website, send me a, an email, and 
I can have uh, myself or uh, somebody, you know, somebody that helps me out can uh, send out uh, a copy from here. Just, you know, they can pay me by PayPal and I'll send them a signed copy. Nice. I love hearing that. So that was Gary Mancuso, the guy behind the reason why <laughs> the the most uh, interesting man in the world went to space because we have another interesting gentleman right here. And I've loved hearing your story and, and I was grateful that you were able to, to come on and spend some time with us today. And I do look forward to, to seeing where you continue along on your journey and, and staying in touch with you. And, and I'm sure that the listeners and fans today will appreciate someone who you know, was willing to make those sacrifices in life to to fulfill um, the yearnings that you set out for yourself uh, based off of your philosophy. So that was, I just want to commend you for for all of those things and and being uh, willing to share that with us today. Well, thank you, Blake. I, again, I appreciate your you having me here today. It's uh, it's been fun. All right. Awesome. So I look forward to staying in touch. And as always, guys, um, my name is Blake Sule. Today's guest was Gary Mancuso. And go out there and be fly.